I want to read to you from uh, the Gospel of Mark this morning, Mark the 10th chapter. Jesus writing, for even the Son of Man, now that's a phrase Jesus used to refer to himself. Oftentimes people think, why, why didn't he call himself the Son of God? Because that would, that's the remarkable part, right? That he was God. Well, you have to understand from his standpoint, the remarkable, remarkable part was that he was man. It was always the amazing part. He's always been God. The fact that he came to earth and I am a son of man. So he always referred to himself that way. For even the son of man did not come to be served, but he came to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. As we're uh, into the first part of uh, 2010, we've been talking a lot about what it means to be a church. And we've been focusing on that. And, uh, you know, we live in a culture today that's very consumer-driven. We hear the message over and over and over again that everything is there for us. You know, people are there to get what we want, when we want it, the way we want it, uh, however we need. You know, you can't just have a burger. You're encouraged to have it your way. Everything has to be all about you. The universe just revolves around you. And we've created very much a consumer mentality. And when you hear that message constantly coming to you, that it's all about you, it's all about you, it's all about you, it's hard not to actually walk around thinking, gee, it really is all about me. You know, we walk around, we think the moon is actually following us at night when we're walking, you know, it's, it's, but it's not. It isn't all about us, but yet this is the way we think. Um, We have consumer everything today. We have consumer relationships, consumer marriages. I spoke, uh, I believe it was last Sunday, it's all a blur now, but uh, I was in uh, um, Virginia speaking at Liberty University, which is one of the largest evangelical universities in the country, and uh, which I think is funny because I don't know what I'm talking about, but (coughs) they had me come. And uh, I was speaking to 7,000 students. You know, it was something else, just this wall of people around me talking about relationships. And, of course, I freaked out most of them because they're living in this drug-induced state of, oh, you know, they're college kids. And it's all about love, true love. <clears throat> and uh, one of the holy cows that I touched that got some of them upset was, Apparently, it's a big thing nowadays, and they actually encourage it among themselves for young people to sit down and write out a list of their expectations in a spouse. This is a big thing today. You know, they sit down and they write out everything that they want and how tall he is and what he smells like and, you know, who knows what else. You know, the whole thing is just... And what's amazing is uh, when you talk to these young women, oftentimes they have pages pages of stuff and I'm just you know are you kidding me you have pages of stuff I can't imagine you come up with pages why would you come up with pages of stuff my list was pretty short woman uh cute likes me that's it you know the hardest one was finding the last one you know that somebody liked me I can't imagine pages Good grief, no wonder people are so miserable. They go into marriage not thinking, what can I bring to a relationship? People come into marriage literally thinking, what is it I can get? This is what I want. This is what I want. This is what I want. And ooh, 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 everything's all about me, 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 me. It's just any wonder. 
that people are so miserable today and why the divorce rate is so stinking high. But we're that way in virtually every area of life today, even in church. I mean, let's be honest. Most of us come to a particular church because it meets some basic need that we have or we stay away from them because of something we don't like about them, which is fine. I mean, it all has to start there. Uh, people come to all kinds of church. People come to our church and different things about our church appeal to them. You know, it might be the music and they go, wow, I, this is kind of cool. Or it might be our youth and, and children's program. And we have some fabulous children's programs. This, if you have young kids that come to this church, it's highly likely that they drag you back here. Yeah, it's true. You know, you go to a lot of churches, it's the parents dragging the kids, kicking and screaming. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. You know, our program, the kids are dragging the parents who are going, I don't want to go. I just want to sleep in. For the love of God, let me sleep in. No, we got to go. We got to go. You know, which is great. That might be uh, the appeal. Some of them, it's the preaching. You love your, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but let's face it, I ain't everybody's cup of tea, you know. You either like it or you don't like it. Some people don't like the fact that we laugh so much and we just have a great time. And, you know, I actually, you know, believe we haven't been baptized in prune juice, you know, that we can smile and, and, <laughs> and enjoy life. And often the speakers that I have come in are very light and they're encouraging and they, you know, just, you know, I like that kind of thing. If you don't like that approach to Christianity, you won't like celebration church. But whatever it is that you like or dislike about church, make no mistake, when you first come, the appeal is it meets some basic need, some basic desire, and we come hungry and we come thirsty, needing spiritual life coming into us. And again, that's perfectly fine and perfectly normal. But we have to be careful that we don't stay there. Okay, the longer you're here, the more important it is as you're part of any church is to grow out of the me, 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 me stage and to make it more about us and less about me because me is not really what church is about. And we've created a consumer Christianity and people come and literally complain, even after years and years and years of going to a church, that they're not getting what they want and what they need, and I'm not getting fed, and I, 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 It's all about I. But is that really what church is about? Of course not. We look at the apostle Peter wrote these words. He says, as you come to him, talking about Jesus, the living stone, who was rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We, we gather together, we offer spiritual sacrifices. In the Old Testament, they would get together and they would offer up you know, animals and stuff. That, they would, that, that was their form of sacrifice. Well, Church today isn't about that because Jesus was the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. He was the one and final sacrifice for the sins of mankind. 
So we offer up a different kind of sacrifice. We come together, we offer up sacrifices of praise and worship and commitment. And part of it should be, as Jesus said about himself, an attitude of service. I have come to serve other people. But he uses the analogy of stones. We are like stones being built together into a spiritual house. Now the thing about stones is they're not really all that impressive by themselves. You know, there's no one element in any building, whatever campus you're in this morning or in, at this campus, there's not one brick that you would look at the one brick and go, wow, no, that, that's, that's an amazing brick. You know, you don't even think about that. What happens is when all the pieces are put together, then it becomes something that is impressive. It's not just one thing. It's not a light on the wall. Like, Ooh, what an incredible light or, or the one brick or, or, or a piece of carpet. I don't know what they were thinking when they put it in this carpet. <laughs> Seriously, doesn't it look like an acid trip gone bad? You know, I just... If I, <laughs> I look at this too long, I start hallucinating, man. Like, yeet. But anyway, be that as it may, it's not about one thing. It's when they all are put together, then it becomes something. If you sometimes feel like you are not much in and of yourselves, that you don't have much to offer, that you are kind of a brick, sometimes dumb as a brick, but we're bricks nonetheless. If, if that's what you feel, man, I, you know, I, I come to this church, I, I don't know what, what I can really do. You're perfect. Welcome to the family. This is what we need. A bunch of bricks. I'm a brick for Jesus. Okay? Because by ourselves, any individual brick may not really be all that impressive. Truth be told. There's not too many of us in this room that all by ourselves would wow the world. But it's when we get together and we start committing to one another and start building on each other's strengths and abilities and a heart of service. That's what becomes impressive. That's what people start looking at. Uh, you know, um, you don't want to just be, uh, you know, let me put it this way. If you come here thinking, boy, these people are really lucky to have me, go away. <laughs> go somewhere else. I'm sure there's someplace else that would love to have you. If you come here thinking opposite of that, you're just the kind of people that we need. Humble in heart. Humble in attitude. So that we can build together. So Peter uses the analogy of, of a building, bricks. Paul uses the analogy of the human body. In Romans, the 12th chapter, uh, he writes this. He says, just as each of us has one body with many members, we have lots of different parts, and these members do not all have the same function. My big toe is, doesn't do the same thing my nose does, or my eye doesn't do the same thing my ear does. I mean, we all have varying parts and and." While there's a few that kind of duplicate things a little bit, most of it's all pretty original. Everything has its place. Everything has its purpose. So in Christ, we who are many form one body. And, and now we get a, a much more a specific analogy, even more than just bricks. You know, while, while that 
how we build together is, is a great analogy. When you talk, talk about the human body, um, we get another picture. I mean, sometimes if you feel like, gee, I don't know, I'm, I'm not exactly like everybody else. Great, you're a toe. <laughs> you're a big toe. You might be a pinky. It's amazing how important toes are, as little as they are. You know, you lose a toe, it's hard to walk. Or if you just hurt a toe. You know, all you got to do is hurt one part of your body. And you really start to appreciate that rascal, don't you? You know, it might be a knee. Ah, ah. It might be a toe. Ah, ah, ah. It might be a finger. It might be something, you know. And, and if anything goes wrong, the rest of the body rushes to help make it better. You smash your thumb. You don't sit there and yell at your thumb. You idiot, you got in the way. <laughs> you smash your thumb and everybody goes, oh, poor we surround the thumb. We try to help with whatever part of your body aches and hurts, man. That's what gets the attention. Great analogy. So in Christ, we who are many form one body. When, when you walk into the room, it's not, gee, there's the ear. You know, there's Bob the nose. Well, it depends on the size of your nose. But I mean, it just, <laughs> mark the head. You know, whatever. But uh, you walk in, it's Mark, it's Bob, it's Lathan, it's whoever. It's, it's, it's the one body, and that's what we should be. And I love this analogy, this thing he says, and each member belongs to all the others. Now, now I love that. Listen, as each member belongs to all the others. It's not so much that everybody belongs to me. Everything else here is to help me it's a real sense of they need me. I mean, that's what we really need you to get. As you grow in your faith and you become part of this community of faith, that if you're going to really be part of a church, you really get a sense that I don't belong to me anymore. I don't just belong to me. I belong to them. They, in a sense, uh, are a part of me. I'm a part of them. I have a responsibility to them. And that'll get you through some of the roughest times. Because let's face it, there's no way you can get this many people together in these many different campuses and where everybody's going to agree about everything. It's just, it's just impossible. Okay? Especially when you've got a pastor as odd as I am. There's no way. People sometimes say, well, I don't know, Pastor, if I agree with everything you say. That's Okay. My wife doesn't agree with everything I say. I don't know anybody who agrees with everything I say. It's not about that. And you start getting into a situation where you're not happy about one thing or the other, you know. But if you get a sense that I don't belong to me, I belong to them. I, you know, the toe doesn't get mad and just walks off. It's, it's part of the deal. Even if I'm mean to the toe. And I keep stepping on the toe and I keep stubbing the toe. The toe does I've had it. And walks off. Why? Because it belongs to the package. That's when you know you're really growing in your faith. That's when you know you're really becoming part of church. Because no matter how stubbed you get, the thought of leaving doesn't even cross your mind. Why? I belong to this deal. Wow. You know, I remember I was part of a church once for a long time that... Uh, I disagreed with almost everything they did. They were weird, man. But, uh, but for years and 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 years, 
there. Why? Because I belong to them. Did I like everything? No. I thought the pastor was a Nimrod half the time. <laughs> I thought the church did some of the dumbest things on earth. But I belong to them. As disgruntled as I was half the time. Hard for me to understand this consumeristic, individualistic version of Christianity where I get to do what I want to do when I want to do it. At some point, if we are going to be the kind of church God wants us to be, I must transition into us. My needs have to transition into our needs. Being served and being ministered to must eventually be replaced with an overwhelming desire to minister and serve others. Jesus gives this great analogy in John, the Gospel of John. He says, I tell you the truth. Now, why has he got to say that? <laughs> because most people wouldn't believe him. Listen, I'm telling you the truth, he says. Unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, quits, no, no longer is that grain of wheat. If it will fall into the ground and, 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 it, and if it doesn't die, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it gives birth to new life and produces many seeds. The challenge is being the kernel of wheat that God can plant and being willing to die to who we are, die to what we want, when we want it, and the way that we want it. Because if you don't do that, you'll just stay a single seed. And I dare say that the bulk of Christianity today is more about a collection of seeds than about new life being birthed. Because we just don't want to die. We like the way we are and we want to be served in a certain way and, and we like being, if anything, we're extremely resistant uh, to dying. And that's pretty normal, actually. Nobody wants to die, or very few people, unless you're super depressed or something, or in great pain. You don't walk around thinking, gee, it'd be nice if I was dead today. You know, if anything, uh, if you're out there swimming in deep water and you start going on, you're thrashing as hard as you can. Why? You don't want to die. Nobody wants to die. Not physically, and certainly not to our selfish nature. But while God does not want you to die, Physically, he's not trying to kill you that way. He is trying to kill you in your selfish area of life. He wants you to stop being so focused on you and yours and to be more focused on the needs of others. Because when we start getting into the ground and just let God and let go in our lives, much easier said than done, by the way. And this doesn't happen overnight any more than planting a seed, you know, happens overnight it doesn't happen overnight you know I don't know you ever have your little kindergartners or something bring home a little styrofoam cup with a seed in it and their thing is to watch it grow 
You know what a lot of them do? The next day they dig it up because they want to see what's happening. <laughs> right? And no, 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 leave it alone, leave it alone. And then they're digging it up in the afternoon. I don't see nothing yet. I don't see it. I mean, that's the way a lot of us are. We get planted. We're digging our way out all the time because we get bored. And it takes time. It, it happens kind of when you're not really even paying attention. But it, and it is a process to, to just let go in our lives and to let God and to trust other people. It's really hard. And I get that it's hard. Again, this doesn't happen right away. If you've been coming here for a while and, and uh, you haven't really got this down to a perfect science yet, goodness gracious, just relax. I mean, it just takes time, okay? There, there's nobody who just gets this right away. It takes time for seeds to... to but, but, but if you hang on to this idea that I, I don't want to die, I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I got to keep, I got to protect myself, I got to protect myself, and I got to protect myself. And let's face it, a lot of people have been through some pretty icky things in life we've been lied to some of us have been cheated on some of us have been abused it doesn't take long particularly in a very selfish culture to get the snot kicked out of you it doesn't take long at all and what you learn as a result i need to protect me okay i gotta look out for me because nobody else is and and i get that out there in the world but when you come in here and if you're really going to be planted in the kingdom of God, you have to slowly let go. Otherwise, you remain a single seed. And here's the thing about single seeds. They tend to live very lonely lives. Now, it's amazing how many people can sit in a big crowd of people at a campus or church or whatever, be involved in a big organization, and yet be incredibly lonely, even in marriages which I talk a lot about, you know, it's amazing how many people who are in a marriage and in a family and a relationship and they are so incredibly and unbelievably lonely. And it's usually because you've got two seeds who absolutely refuse to die. And they just stay lonely. See, the, the, the downside of just protecting yourself and not letting go is this miserable existence of loneliness. But Jesus said, if the seed will die. It's interesting, he says, but if it dies. See, the analogy is about us. You can decide whether or not you're going to let God and let go or just hold on and protect yourself and the minute you don't like anything, you're the toe that just walks away, see. You do that, you'll just stay kind of empty and, and hollow and shallow and very lonely. But if you will let go and allow the transformation to change you see the thing about when a plant gives birth it doesn't look like the seed anymore you'd never recognize it you'd never recognize it i mean that's really the ideal that we get so transformed by this wonderful thing called christian fellowship and the church and this relationship with god that people who knew you before look at you they don't recognize you anymore you're, you're so different what, what is it you're transforming, and this should continue to be, this continual stage of transforming. Sadly, instead of a golden field of wheat full of life that feeds millions, we become just a box of seeds. So many churches, it's, it's pretty much that. They're a box of seeds, some of them just a few seeds, some of them got lots of seeds. They rattle very nicely, you open up, they're nice and golden, they look nice. 
but they're just seeds. We can't really feed the world. We can't really touch others until we start letting go and letting God. Granted, not an easy thing to do. I'm going to invite our ushers to come at this time at the different campuses to get ready to serve communion. Our musicians can come back up. Again, Jesus said, for even the Son of Man, referring to himself, did not come to be served. Here he is, creator of heaven and earth, God in the flesh. If anyone should have come with, hey, serve me, it would have been Jesus, you would have thought. But the miracle here is he says, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. And he says, to give his life a ransom for many. That's the ultimate joy of the Christian faith. The fact that Jesus came and offered his life up as a ransom for all of ours. Jesus Christ died on the cross for the sins of the world, for your sins and for mine. As I said earlier, he was the Lamb of God that took away the sins of the world, the final sacrifice. This is what we celebrate during communion, reflecting on the fact that his body was broken so that we could be whole. His blood was shed so that he could wash away our sins and we could have forgiveness and new life. This is the glorious message in Christianity. So my question to you this morning before we take communion is, have you accepted this wonderful gift of forgiveness of God in your life? Have you experienced God in your life? See, it's one thing to hear about it. It's one thing to learn about it. It's another thing to truly experience it. And that's what true Christianity is about. Gathering of people who've actually experienced God's forgiveness, God's grace, and mercy in their lives. If you're here this morning or you're at one of our campuses and you're thinking you know no I, I never really have experienced that in my life I'd like you all to bow your heads with me we're going to pray a prayer together and I'm going to ask you to repeat this prayer after me and if you are willing to turn away from what you know is wrong in your life and put your faith in Christ this morning you can begin to experience his mercy his forgiveness his cleansing grace if you'll truly put your trust in him this morning let's pray this prayer together say dear Jesus I believe you are the Son of God and that you loved me so much you went to the cross and you took my punishment. I ask you to come into my life and to forgive me of my sins. I now surrender to you. Amen.